0: Welcome to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. Today, we're going to be talking about essential skills for success no one taught you. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf, the founder and CEO of the Innovative Leadership Institute. I believe that leadership creates a strategic advantage and is a key lever for creating the world we all want to live in. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author on an award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organization. I'm also a fellow with the International Leadership Association. I am delighted to have with us today, Mark Hershberg. He's an author and instructor at MIT, as well as a CTO. So Mark, please tell our listeners a little bit about yourself.
1: I began my career back in the 90s when I came out of MIT as a software developer. And I realized early on, I wanted to become a CTO. But to get that job, there were a number of skills I needed. It wasn't just about being a good software developer, but about knowing how to lead how to hire people, how to build effective teams, how to communicate all these skills and no one had ever taught me. So I had to develop them in myself and then realize these aren't just for leaders and senior people. I wanted my whole team to have these skills. Around the same time, MIT had gotten similar feedback. Companies said, these are the skills we want to see in the people we hire, not just from MIT, in fact, not just from colleges in general, but we can't find these skills because no one is teaching them. So upon hearing that, MIT put together a program. When I heard about it, I reached out and said, I've been working on this myself. I helped them create that program. I've been teaching there for the past 20 years and now just turned it into my book, The Career Toolkit. So I've had these two parallel careers as a CTO, but also teaching and developing these skills in others.
0: So networking, negotiating, communicating, leading, and career planning are all skills to your career success but nobody ever taught us as Mark just said. So Mark is here on the show today to discuss his book, The Career Toolkit, Essential Skills for Success That No One Taught You. He'll share practical ideas from his book and thoughts on leadership that will help you master vital skills. Mark, you've talked a little bit about it, but can you give us some more background on what inspired you to write Career
1: Toolkit? I know from having taught this for years, the impact that has had on people's lives, on my students, on the people I've managed and mentored at work, in the nonprofit work I've done, and I know how much this can help people. Even these small changes, even if you get just 1% better at communicating, 3% better at leading, it can have a remarkable impact on your career. And I know it's not just MIT students who need this. So I originally wasn't even writing a book. I was just writing up notes for the class and then thinking, well, we'll put the notes online because MIT, of course, pioneered open online courseware. But what I thought would be about 20 pages of notes quickly turned into 200 some pages of text. I said, you know, maybe this isn't just a few notes. This might actually be a book. And so went out and turned it into a book.
0: So are you now teaching this at MIT as well?
1: We've been teaching this at MIT for the past 20 years. So this is not just, hey, Mark had these ideas. The content of the book, the motivations for our chapters come from feedback we've got at MIT and feedback at other universities about these are the skills companies want in their employees and executives. And we've been teaching it for 20 years. So one of the great things about doing this book, people always ask me, how long did it take you to write it? So just a few months because I've been teaching it for so long. And I know when I give this example, here are the questions that come. So readers have already said, it's great, I read a a passage and then I have a question on the next page, boom, you've answered the question. So this is time-tested material from decades of teaching.
0: As you say that people have questions and they see it on the next page, tell us a little bit about the layout and the table of contents. If I picked up this book, what would I see?
1: The book is divided into three sections, 10 chapters. The first section includes career planning, how to be effective at work, managing your manager, understanding corporate culture and politics, and how to interview both as a candidate, but even more importantly, as a hiring manager, or as part of the hiring team, because no one teaches us that. Second section, leadership, and then management, both the people side and the process side. And then the third section is communication, negotiation, networking, and ethics. Each chapter can stand alone. So you can open the book and say, I got to work on my networking. Jump right to that chapter. You can skip the others. Each one has an introduction motivating what this is about, has the mental shift you need to change how you perceive and understand this particular skill. And then a bunch of concrete tips, things you can do to improve your actions in this area. And then in the conclusion, next steps you can take to get better. And then of course, there's a companion app to supplement the book and help you retain it.
0: What are you most proud of? Tell us a story about someone who's used this and what's changed in their career.
1: One of my proudest moments was a student of mine who is very nervous about networking. We conclude our class at MIT with a networking lunch. So we're bringing in adults, we're bringing in corporate people, and they're just gonna chat with you. This isn't a career fair. You don't just walk up and say, here's my resume, Students know how to do that, but we don't do that in the real world. No one carries around the resume and waits in line to hand it in. And as this lunch was beginning, she was very nervous. And I spoke to her about, look, this is not anything special. Networking is just talking to people. It's relationship building. If you've ever made a friend, you know how to network. That's all it is. She was still very nervous. I walked her over to one of the people I knew. Who is in a field she's interested in, I introduced them, I got the conversation going. It went okay. I stepped away, looked at my other students. As the whole event was concluding about two hours later, as they said, you know, wrap up your conversations, five more minutes. I saw her and she said, I don't want this to end. I love it so much. <laughs> and the key thing is she shifted her mindset from, oh, this is that awkward, horrible thing, and I don't know how to do and I don't like it, to, oh, I'm just talking to people. I just have to go and learn something from other people. And it changed how she saw it. And she went from being afraid of it to loving it. Think about the next 10, 20 years of her career where she would have been avoiding these to now she can make the most of them. And that's what happens in each of the chapters when you get that mindset shift. It changes how you perceive things and creates new opportunities. I love the
0: example because for most of our leaders, irrespective of place and career, it is the networking that helps us hire. It's the networking that helps us change roles. And with talent shortage, without a good network, we are at a significant disadvantage.
1: Absolutely. And people feel even more disadvantaged because they said, oh, it's been COVID. I haven't been able to go out. But here again, the shift is from, well, networking is collecting business cards. Networking is shaking hands and adding connections. And that's part of it. But when we realize it is relationship building, it's not just adding people on LinkedIn. Well, relationships, we can build that virtually. I might not meet new people virtually. That's always been awkward of go sit in this virtual room and meet strangers. But the people who I've met where I want to reach out and connect, whereas before we were limited to, Hey, if you're in New York, let's meet up for coffee. But if you're not in New York, uh, who knows when I'll see you. And if I called you in 2017 and said, let's do a Zoom call to catch up, I'd say, wait, what? This is, this is weird. But now I could say, hey, you know what? I'm not commuting to work. I've got this extra time. I'm going to use half an hour once a week to just reach out to someone I haven't seen who might not even be in the same city as me and say, let's just catch up. I know it's been a while. How are you doing? Once we recognize that's about the relationship building, we can find different ways to do it, and we can do it even when virtual or semi-remote, and we can foster and strengthen those relationships.
0: Again, I love the idea of taking a half hour once a week just to catch up. For new people, how are you building or recommending people network during COVID and even post-COVID when people are more reluctant to get together?
1: You can do so in smaller groups. You can even create online groups. One of the best things that I did during the pandemic, there's uh, something called the Renaissance Weekend Conference that I go to, similar to TED Talks. And someone in the group said back last April, we're all isolated, we're all alone. I'm going to start a Saturday night Zoom call. And we just all got on Zoom. She runs it for about six hours People come on and off, and we're across different time zones, and you can just jump in and chat with people. We did large sessions. We did small sessions. Sometimes it was formal presentations someone would do about their work or something interesting, or sometimes it would just be chatting. And there were people, I knew some of their names, but I didn't really know them because there's a lot of people who go to this event, and I got to know people and build relationships, So when you're just thrown into, hey, random strangers at this event, let's network on a Zoom call, I don't think that's going to work. But when you create a group and say, we are going to interact, create an online reading group. And one of the things I recommend to help develop these skills, you need to create a peer learning group, a group of other people at your company Or you can just find other people who are interested in developing these skills and create the small group and you have regular discussions about these topics to increase your learning and understanding. You can do that virtually. And not only will you learn more, not only will you increase your skills, but you will develop relationships with other people in the group. So you can create your own networking opportunities. You don't have to necessarily be in person or at an event to do so.
0: One could do that with your book as a book club.
1: So I have on the resources page of my website, if you want to do this at your organization, in your group, I have a download how to set up this group, whether you're doing it with a small group of people, say six to eight people, or larger groups of 20 or 50, if it's at your company. I also have how you can take my book, chop up into pieces, and whether you're doing the full book or whether it's for people who are new leaders or new hires, here's a small cycle. It might have four or six sections. Take this piece and this half chapter and this chapter over here and focus on these, and that's gonna help you really come up to speed on a particular topic. Here's the thing, I'd love if you use my book, but you don't have to. The key thing is having that discussion about some content. Yes, you can use my book. You can use any of the other books I list on my website, other books I recommend, other books you like, articles videos use a great podcast like this one and have that group listen to this podcast each week and then discuss the Topics it really doesn't matter as long as you have some starting content You're together with this is going to help you really increase your understanding because these skills It's not like accounting accounting. You say okay. What are the accounting rules? I'm gonna memorize it I know how to apply it when it comes to leadership or communication. You can't just memorize a few rules It's more like sports What happens when you wanna learn a sport? Well, you learn the rules, but then you have to practice or you do drills or you play scrimmage games. And since you can't always find a scrimmage way to lead by having these discussions, you might do case studies or you might just talk about situations. And Maureen, you're gonna say, you know, Mark, I was in a similar situation, here's what I did. Oh, Maureen, that's brilliant. Thank you for sharing, I'm gonna try that. So that's how we can kind of do some practice By learning from each other and having discussions, not in the abstract, but in concrete, real-world examples other people in your peer learning group have gotten.
0: We teach a lot of leadership classes, and in each class now, if it's a cohort-based class, we do test people and assign them with people of similar operational mindset as learning partners, so they'll be working with someone with a similar grounding. And as you've said, in the flip the classroom idea, it's all about the facilitated conversation rather than the painfully dull me in front of a classroom with PowerPoints for an hour and a half.
1: You're absolutely right. This is how you teach it. It's how we teach at MIT. It's how top business schools teach it. You give some projected content. That could be the reading. That could be the podcast. That could be a little bit of lecture, but it is that experiential That is how you learn, it's experiential engagement, whether it's doing case studies or role-playing or just in the conversations about real-world examples, that's what's gonna help move you forward.
0: You talk also about leadership in the book. Can you talk to our listeners a little bit about influential leadership and what does that mean and how is it different from positional leadership?
1: Most people who haven't thought about leadership think of it positionally. They think a leader is someone with a certain title, and the leader can command. You work for me, do this. That is not true leadership. That is authority, and it can work. I'm not saying don't use authority, but if you want true leadership, that is what we call influential leadership. When you think about some of the greatest leaders of the 20th century, someone like Gandhi. Gandhi had no authority. Gandhi could not command millions of people to protest. He said, look, I can't tell you what to do, but we should protest. And by the way, you are putting yourself at risk. You could be jailed, you could be beaten. But here is the vision I see for the country. And he got everyone to buy into that. And by getting them to listen and to buy in, not because he could command them, but because he could inspire and influence them, he became the leader of a nation. For all of us, We can lead even day one. So even if you're the most junior person at the company and have no formal authority, you can lead. Even if you're a mid-level manager and say, well, that's right for the more senior people to decide, you can still lead by putting forth your ideas and influencing people to get behind them.
0: So what are the qualities then that you attribute to leadership?
1: The qualities are many. Here's the thing. Leadership is not any one thing. If you were to make a list, what are the things you want in a leader? And feel free to pause the podcast and think about this and write down some things. You can come up with a list easily a dozen things, two dozen. I've seen lists that get 50, 70 long. Things like being a good communicator. Things like having empathy. Having a clear vision. Having a model for execution so people can believe that this is a doable vision. Having integrity. There's a whole list you can come up with. And you don't just say, well, I'm going to develop leadership in of itself. If, for example, to use another sports analogy, if you're learning basketball, you don't just say, well, I'm going to learn basketball, basketball. I learned basketball just by basketball, right? No, you say, what am I going to learn to do? I'm going to learn to shoot. I'm going to learn to rebound. I'm going to learn to pass. I'm going to learn to dribble. You focus, to get better at basketball. It's not basketball as a whole. You focus on these individual skills and then you put them together. And learn to be a better basketball player. So you can develop your leadership, not simply by saying, hmm, leadership, I'm going to lead. You can focus on some of these individual attributes and make that list, look at the individual items and say, what do I want to work on? And as you focus on each one of those, you're going to strengthen your overall leadership.
0: Mark, you as a leader, because you not only teach this and write books, but you're also still a CTO. Yes. So what leadership quality or qualities are you most proud of in your own work?
1: Integrity, first and foremost. The more I spend in the working world, the more time I spend there, just the more I see people blurring lines, crossing lines, unfortunate things being done, and We let people get away with this all too often. I set high ethical standards for myself. I have left jobs over ethical disagreements because I've learned I just have to believe in myself. And one thing I say in the book when I have the chapter on ethics, I recognized I am in a bit of a privileged position. Right now, if I'm at a company or at a client and I don't like what they're doing, I can walk away. I don't have to stay there for the paycheck. Certainly, there were times earlier in my career where I felt a little more pressure and it wasn't as easy just to walk out and I said, well, I hope they figure out how to do the right thing. Let me see how this plays out. And unfortunately, it usually didn't. So I recognize I'm in a good position to do that. Not everyone is. But to me, integrity is so important. And I would encourage everyone here to be clear on your moral boundaries and live up to them. Because once you cross those lines, it's really hard to go back.
0: So it's an interesting idea that I can leave and you and I have that luxury and I find myself asking the question, is the organization, are the stakeholders better with me here or not here? Because I've certainly had clients that I don't like some of the things they say and do, but where is the line that I exit versus where in my role do I help them get better at their way of being and what they
1: do? That is a great question, and it's one of the ones we do talk about in the book. Consider, for example, in the Catholic priesthood, many priests do a lot of good. They are helping people, especially in times of need. They can be inspirational, they can be leaders, but we also know the Catholic Church has a history of doing bad things. You could even say, forget even the history, even today, is it sexist? Is it homophobic? And by being part of it, are you supporting that? Are you encouraging that? Making it even harder if you're a priest, it's not like, well, I'm just going to go across the street to the next company that needs a priest. You're kind of committed to one employer. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a tough call. And that's the type of call that I don't think there's any one universal answer. You yourself have to figure out, are you doing more harm than good in the role? And each of us will have to work on that. And ethics, this is something that as leaders, it's too easy to say, oh, yeah, I'm I'm ethical and I know it when I'll see it. But unfortunately, when we hit some of these ethical crises, when we hit the challenge, it's usually a stressful situation. Money is tight or there's a deadline. You have to make some trade-offs soon. And if you haven't thought about it ahead of time, then it gets really hard to make that decision in the moment under pressure. There's a reason people in high-pressure situations train. Firefighters don't just say, oh, I'm going to walk into the fire and figure it out. They train. They practice. In fact, all of us, we've all had fire drills as kids, right? We're going to pull the alarm. Everyone's going to line up. And now if you hear a fire drill, you're not just going to run for the door. You're not going to shove people out of the way. You know, okay, we're going to walk calmly. We know this works because we've done it before. Same thing with our ethics. If we can think about ahead of time, if we can practice, if we have these discussions and set our guidelines, when we are faced with an ethical issue, probably in a high-stress, tight deadline situation, we're not just going to be running for the door. We can walk calmly. We can have a plan, and we're going to be in a better position to face it.
0: Can you give us an example? Because this is one of your biggest values, how did you train for it? What kind of scenarios did you think through to come to the position you're in now?
1: One of the things that happened early on that really struck this home for me, and I was always someone who cared about integrity. I had read a lot of books by Cecilia Bach. She's a Harvard professor who talks about the ethics of lying and why we should not be lying. So it's something I would already looked at and read about before. But I remember at one company, there was sexual harassment. There's a supervisor who, black and white, sexually harassed his subordinate. And I thought, okay, well, this is a clear black and white situation. It's not he said, she said. They had the same story. His response was, it wasn't my fault. She was sending me signals, which is an absolute BS response because it puts responsibility off of him on her for his actions. I thought, okay, well, this is very clear. They're going to fire him. They did not. He stayed she wound up leaving remember thinking this is not appropriate Recognizing that thinking about at that point looking into what are other common situations and you can see some in my book There are other books on business ethics and business circumstances You can just google around for stories and let's think about what these are and just thinking ahead of time What would I do? Where am I comfortable? And as I said before, these are often gray areas like the circumstance you brought up of are you doing more harm than good? Do you have any boundaries? Like at what point do you just say, no, it's it's too harmful? Are there any real guide rails? And then just other maybe principles, other general things I should be thinking about that as situations come up, I can pull in on those pieces. Not that it's going to tell me exactly what to do, but it's going to help guide those decisions. So I would recommend if you want to work on this, You can just think through some ethical circumstances. You can Google around. I list some free ethics case studies are linked from my website. So this is how you can begin your journey.
0: I love connecting then back to what you talked about with study groups, whatever name you give them. But having the conversation in a group, because my perspective on sexual harassment as a woman who's experienced it may be different than a woman who didn't experience it than a man who's been accused wrongly of it, than a man who's never had those experiences. To have the conversation and hear the multiple points of view to really inspire us to grapple with the issue rather than come to an easy solution might be a really valuable exercise.
1: Absolutely, and you've hit the nail on the head why these peer learning groups are so valuable and ethics are a great thing to discuss because there's no one right answer. And even when it comes to leadership or communications or negotiating, there's also not one right answer. And that's why having these multiple diverse perspectives, it's going to take you far deeper than even just my book or this podcast or any other single source of someone saying, do this. It's getting that diverse perspective. That's going to enrich your capabilities. Thank you for
0: suggesting that. Now let's shift to leaders and followers. Can you tell us a little bit about that? And one of the things I'm particularly interested in is the mindset shift from I'm the leader, I'm in charge, back to your command and control, to I may have the positional title of leader, but sometimes I shouldn't be leading a project or a process or anything. There are people in the room, especially in technology, who are going to know well more than I do. I defer to our producer all the time because I don't know what is appropriate or best from a technology perspective.
1: First, we recognize that leadership, as we said before, is not one overarching thing. It is a bunch of skills that come together holistically. So even as a follower, you can be developing these individual skills, and that's going to be strengthening your leadership, even if at that moment you are not a leader. But good leaders, leaders who are secure, don't say, well, I'm in charge. You can't make that decision. It's my decision, and, and, and I'll, I'll make it. Good leaders say, you know what? I don't have all the answers. I am not perfect. I need your input. And if you are more capable or competent, everyone, let's, let's listen to Maureen, right? What does she think we should do? And so it's recognizing leadership isn't some fixed size some fixed number that if I give up some leadership, if I give some to you, I have less for me. In fact, you can think of it, you know, when you talk about love, right? You can give away love and you still have it. Leadership is almost the same that I can let other people step in and lead and doesn't detract from my leadership. Now, if I'm completely abdicating and saying, oh, all right, you make the decision. You, I don't know what to do. You all make the decision. I don't want to, then you're abdicating. But if you're saying, it's not just me, it is my team, it is all of us. Your executive team, the senior people, even junior people with a good idea, bringing in those ideas will help you be a stronger leader because you get better ideas and no one's going to say, well, you didn't have it, so how could you be the leader? Your job is to make sure the group gets the best ideas, not that you personally are generating the best ideas.
0: Can you give us an example from your work where you've done this and where it worked out brilliantly? And then the follow-on to that is, what pitfalls should our new leaders be looking for so that they don't abdicate as an example?
1: Something I do with my teams. I work with technology teams very often, and we're constantly looking for new technologies, new tools. Even what we knew the answer was five years ago, it now has to be different. When I have a decision to make, we need to bring in some new type of tool. Instead of saying, you know, I happen to know the answer, and I might know the answer. I might have known the answer a few years ago, but maybe I'm not up to date on what just came out six months ago. Instead of saying, well, I'm making this decision, I will engage my team and say, okay, the three of you are now on the committee to pick this new technology. So I want you to go out, let's define what it is that we need. What does it have to do? What's the evaluation metric? And I'll give them some criteria to get them started. Say, ask other people, get input from the team. And they come up with that metric and they'll run it by me. And okay, here's what we're looking for. Now we're going to look for those tools. And I'll suggest three or four tools I happen to know. Say, here's some, look at these, but go find others. Ones you like, or ones that you found in your search. Go look at a handful of tools and maybe it's three, maybe it's eight, really depends on the particular tool type. Go evaluate this. And of course, I'm giving them time. This is part of their work. I'm not saying do this on top of your work. No, part of your time each week or month is allocated to this. And then you're going to present back to the team, okay, we looked at these six tools and we use this evaluation criteria Here's the tool we recommend, here is why, here are other options, and then the entire team makes a decision. Now, in doing this, I've done a couple things. One is I have engaged the whole team. They get buy-in. They don't feel like, well, Mark's just telling me what to do. Particularly important with knowledge workers who don't just want to sit there and be a drone. Second, the ones I select to do this project, they get excited. They feel, oh, I'm helping to lead this decision. Right? They're not making a decision, just the three of them, but they are certainly taking a lead role in it. So they get excited. They develop their leadership. And then for me, you know, less work for me. If I had to do all this myself, well, then it's other things I couldn't be doing. That's time and effort I can't spend elsewhere. So it's a win all around. Everyone benefits. And then we make a decision. Generally, what I, f- what I found, if you did a good job creating clear evaluation metrics, it's pretty clear and the team usually wants to go in a clear direction. The few times that hasn't been the case is where we've had situations of, you could almost go in one of two or three directions, there's pros and cons to each, there's just not a clear winner, the team is divided, will typically be split 50-50 or in thirds, then I have to step in and make a decision as the leader. But this technique usually works pretty well for making a decision, but even if it doesn't result in the decision, it increases engagement and helps people develop their skills and their leadership abilities.
0: A couple things I heard is you scope their efforts effectively. So they're not changing the company's mission. They're on a project that they are well qualified to do. And then you lay out a process in advance for, you're going to collect the information. You're going to give me recommendations. We as a team will make a decision. I have final input so that they're not frustrated if it doesn't go as they anticipated.
1: Exactly. And I'm there that they can check in with me if they need help. Depending on the level of experience, it might be a little more, let's create that evaluation metric together or with a very senior person, I might say, hey, you know, we need this type of tool, go figure it out. And I know this person is going to figure out the right metrics. So you can vary how much control, how much interaction you have with the team, depending on their level of experience and seniority.
0: This gets to the abdication piece that you're modulating how much you delegate based on their experience, sophistication, know-how.
1: Exactly. Now, I always try to do as little as possible. There's a famous misquote that supposedly Bill Gates said, I always try to hire a lazy programmer because a lazy programmer will find an efficient way to do this. That's actually a misquote of, I'm blanking on the guy's name, the book Cheaper by the Dozen was written about him. He was the time and motion expert and he studied bricklayers. And the original quote is about bricklayers. He liked the lazy bricklayers because they wouldn't always walk and get the bricks. They'd plan ahead. half time. How do I move all the bricks here? How do I do the least amount of work? As a leader as a manager I want to do as little work as possible because every time I have to make a decision it means I need to be there I need to talk to people I need to get the input I need to expend some mental energy and make a decision if I can delegate that and know that the right decision will get made then it means I can do something else I can be making a different presumably bigger decision Why do we have, for some folks, they might have a secretary who does scheduling meetings because trying to figure out when am I free to meet with you, you don't have to use your time and effort. Someone else can do that. That frees you up for the bigger decisions. So everything, most of us don't have secretaries these days, but all of us, if you can delegate your decision-making, whether you define a process, but when we have this question, here's how we find the answer or whether hey, Bob, I want you and grab a couple other folks and you're going to figure out in the next two weeks the answer to this question. If I can delegate that, then I can focus on something else and provide more value to the company that other people could not provide.
0: And part of that value is also growing your people.
1: Exactly. Better engagement, growth of them. It's a win all around. Beautiful.
0: Now let's shift from leadership to management, and I understand that different people define these things differently, and it seems like now it's in vogue that everyone wants to be a leader, not a manager. So will you talk about the distinctions and why both are important, and that the same person may be doing both?
1: I'll bookend this discussion or provide the two bookends by saying my favorite distinction between the two is the quote- No one ever managed men into battle. Mm. I think that really captures the essence of what leadership is. Now, I say at the end of this section where I cover leadership and management, we look at them differently because I break them down really the same way to use that sports analogy. Shooting and dribbling in basketball are different, but no one just shoots or just dribbles. No one leads without managing or manages without leading but how much you do of each will vary. So good leaders manage, good managers lead. In the day-to-day, I wouldn't worry about the distinction. As you're having these discussions in your peer group, don't say, oh, wait, wait, that's, that's management, not leadership. And we're talking about leadership today. It will, of course, blur. So you want to develop both. I think of leadership as creating that vision, and direction and inspiring, and management is more of the execution side of it. So that's the distinction I use in the book, but again, it's going to be very blurred lines. And if you have a different definition, if you just combine them or you draw the lines differently, that is fine too.
0: I like the idea that no one managed people into battle. Both are required. So can you talk to our listeners about some of the skills that good managers need and why that dovetails with, I can't lead if I can't also do that.
1: There are three things a manager needs to do. You need to set the goals, foster collaboration, and provide support. That is the essence of modern management in an information economy. If you don't set the goals, people don't know what they're doing. Now, the goals may come from up on high. The goals may come from a senior leader goals may come from you. There may be big goals set by leaders, and you're defining the more tactical goals. So this can be done very broadly, very narrowly, but you need to tell the team, here is what we are trying to achieve. You then need to foster collaboration. And this is where how to build the team, how to make sure information flows correctly. Should you be doing a daily stand-up meeting? Should you have a meeting once a month? Should you set up a Slack channel should you use this process or that process that's where you again not necessarily alone but you need to create that process to make sure people are working together effectively and then providing support that might mean hey we need a slack channel okay i'm going to go buy slack for the team or you're getting pulled onto some project nope i need you on this one because we have a type deadline i'm gonna go talk to him and say no you can't have sarah for the next three weeks she's got a deadline or People from legal aren't responding to Jennifer. All right, let me go talk to the head of legal. I'll make sure you get what you need because that's blocking you. So providing support, making sure you have the resources you need and freeing you from distractions. Those are the three key things. And again, as we said before, notice I never said have the right answers. It's not about, I'm the manager. I have to know everything going on. I have to know the right way to do it. You just have to create this environment in which your team can get the right answers
0: tell me then in your environment how do you make sure the team gets the right answers you've given examples of bringing people together to collaborate and define recommendations do you have another example
1: go to your information flow it used to be a manager a hundred years ago was overseeing an assembly line a factory and the manager is just worried about how pieces are moving. Are you tightening the screw fast enough? And if you're not, the manager says, tighten faster. And that was about it for management. But today, I certainly can't do everything. I'm not even the best expert on all the things that my team do, right? Some of them are better in a certain technology. They know this vertical better. They know this tool better. So I have to rely on them, but I have to make sure that the right people have the right conversations At the right time. Okay. This is key. Make sure the right people have the right conversations at the right time. That might mean meetings. It might mean removing meetings. It might mean we send out an email when we hit this milestone. We send out this message through Slack. It might mean just making sure there are social activities so people increase their relationships within the team so they're more likely to have spontaneous conversations or talk to each other instead of, I, I don't really know, I don't really know Rob, so um, I, I, maybe if I bump into him, instead of, oh, I know Rob, I'm going to just walk over to his desk and let him know about this. So there's lots of different ways you can do it, but if you think about the information flow, if you think about how, when, and who for the information you're going to create a much more effective process.
0: And as you say that, I'm thinking specifically about the going to talk to people we know, the idea that information is power. And back to then the very beginning of the conversation talking about networking, if I sit in my cubicle or in my home at this point and don't talk to people, I am slowly excluding myself from the power structure.
1: And one thing may people forget, because classically we think of networking as collecting business cards, And it's what I do when I need a job. But then if you're thinking that way, well, why would I network with people in my company? I have a job. I don't need them to get me a job here. But we forget about internal networking. Internal networking is so important, both to you individually, but if you are a leader or manager, it helps your organization. It helps foster those relationships to increase the communication. And it's going to make things flow better. To really focus on internal networking as well as traditional external networking outside of your company.
0: Some companies, some that I've worked for, really how things got done was based on the internal network. If you weren't networked, you didn't get the next promotion, you didn't get the next project opportunity, you got the
1: leftovers. I knew someone at a large consulting firm who was told to get to next level, you need to move cities. You need to be in this city in front of these people, no one has an issue with your work, but you have to build those relationships to get that promotion. And so yes, it will vary by company, but it will always be a component to some degree.
0: Having worked at two large consulting firms when I moved out of DC, it was damaging to my career because that was our power base and my spouse wasn't there. So I chose my spouse over the power base.
1: And of course that's probably the right call.
0: Yeah, it probably was. And I ended up leaving the company. Those decisions have that kind of impact. Had I stayed in D.C., who knows what would have happened. My network would have come in play for the next promotion.
1: But of course, our career is one part of our larger life. Yeah. And we're trying to have a great life, not just a great career. And sometimes that means balancing out your family against your career. And sounds like that was the right decision for you.
0: It was. And that's why I made that decision. No regrets, some frustration, but (laughs) I don't look back and say, I wish I had done it differently. And this comes into your comment about integrity. What does it mean to be a good family member, spouse, employee, human being bigger than the jobs we have?
1: What's the commitment to ourselves and to our families and our communities?
0: Can you talk a little bit about how you express that in the book or how you see it if it's not embedded in the book. My guess is it's embedded in everything, but tell me a little bit more.
1: It's even very explicit in chapter one career planning. So when you're thinking about how do I create a career plan? How do I get to this future role that I would like? There's a series of questions that we start with. And the questions, only a few of them are about the job. Now, those are questions like, do you prefer working alone or in groups? But a lot of the questions are, what do you want to have life? Where do you want to live? What kind of impact do you want to have on your local community, on the world? Because again, your job is just part of your larger life. And If you just optimize for your job at the cost of other things in life, that is not going to be a happy path for you. So a lot of the questions are really larger than just job questions, and that's going to help you plan effectively for not just a good career, but overall happiness in your life.
0: You and I are very aligned on that. On each of our leadership books, we start with vision and values. And for me, it is about, for each of our people leading, they are the mechanism that delivers leadership. So if they don't know themselves and manage and care for themselves well, then that mechanism, orchestra, conductor, vehicle, whatever term you use just like I brush my teeth every morning because I don't want to have bad breath and have my teeth fall out. If I am not an effective delivery vehicle, I realize that's way too mechanistic, but if I'm not an effective delivery vehicle, the leadership can't happen well.
1: Right. If we're dragged down and distracted by all these little things, by all the friction of not being clear on where we're going, we're not going to have that extra time and energy to focus on being an effective leader in the job we're at today.
0: So it sounds like if I go through chapter one, back to our learning groups, if I go through chapter one with my learning group, then we'll each get clearer about who we are, what we care about, and some of the skill piece. And if I did this with people who work with me on my team or who report to me, I could use that even as the foundation for career planning.
1: Absolutely right. And now, even if you think you know what you want to do and where you want to go, having these discussions with other people. And whether you're doing this peer learning group, which I recommend, or even if you just say, I'm going to go and have conversations one-on-one with different people, hear about their career paths and what they did and why, mistakes they made, things that they wish they knew when they were your age. This is going to help you create a better path. It's going to illuminate the path that you're going to take, making it easier to transverse. But you can also, to your point, this is going to help you when you go in for your annual review. You're going to have a clearer picture of what you want to do and where you want to go. And it's okay to talk about, hey, 10 years from now, I want to be doing this thing. And it might not be at this company. People understand that at most companies these days, we don't expect you to be there 10 years. If your company does, maybe be a little careful saying that. As I mentioned before, along with the download for how to create this peer learning group, I also have one showing you how you can chop up the book and use different pieces. So there's a three cycle segment for annual reviews that covers a lot on career planning and then a few other sections. And that's just something you'd say we're going to do just three meetings. We're just going to focus on each of these three pieces in preparation for the annual review and so everyone goes in better prepared.
0: And you would give an assignment so someone would come into the meeting prepared.
1: Where are you trying to go in general? Mm -hmm. What are the skills that you want to work on in the near term, say in the next 12 months? And of course, your manager, and go in with your plan. Your manager, she's going to have, well, here's what I think you need to work on. And you're going to find a balance between the two. But it's funny, most people go into their annual reviews. The manager, unfortunately, many don't spend much time, but... Even the ones who do, okay, I have a plan. I know I know what Jake needs to work on. Jake needs to work on these skills. He's good here, work a little more of that. But Jake goes into this not really having thought about it, just saying, well, you know, I hope maybe I can get a promotion. Hopefully it will go well. Instead, Jake should go with a plan saying, this is what I want. Don't just get in the car and let someone else drive. So this car is your career and your life. You want one hand on the wheel.
0: Or both hands on the wheel. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Well, presumably your manager will have a hand as well. It's not just you in control.
0: So you're talking about employee within a company. I want to extend that, and I'm sure you do in the book. I'm working with the owners of a small to mid-sized company, and we just went through them defining their why, to use the Simon Sinek term, what's your why, individually, and then what is the company's why. And it's really illuminating to get two people together who had made assumptions about the trajectory of the company based on assumptions they made about each other and about themselves now it takes hours right this isn't a i'm do this while i'm brushing my teeth it's a thought process that you know you think about while you're on a 4-hour bike ride multiple times and the clarity they have about the direction of their company is completely different now after six hours with me. So this wasn't like we took a year and a half to do it. It can be done relatively efficiently. It's the clarity of their thinking that feeds into it.
1: And a career plan isn't necessarily just titles. For some, particularly if you expect to stay in corporate America the whole time, you say, well, I want this title and then move here and here, and it's explicit titles and responsibilities. For a lot of entrepreneurs, for a lot of people who found and run companies, well, your title is not going to change, but the nature of what you do may change. Going from, you know, I'm working 60, 70 hour weeks. My goal is to get to 50 hour weeks. My goal is to not have to worry about the operations. In two years from now, when we're done with operations. So I'll have someone else who can take that over and I can focus more on these other areas. So it's not necessarily a change in title. It's about your own development, your own skill development, and what you want to be focusing on in your job. So don't just focus on the titles.
0: Yeah, as you say that, again, I'm thinking about this founder and COO, so two principles. And as the company's grown, the need to put more structure around what they do. And this founder is getting to say, I had to do all that stuff. Some of it I liked, some of it I didn't like. Now I get to focus on innovation because I think that's one, the biggest value and two, the most fun for me. And that's brilliant when we're able to see companies succeed to the point that the founder can really love getting up in the morning because it's a company that does something good in the world. And the work that this individual's doing is actually enjoyable.
1: And here again, we talked earlier about how leadership is not fixed. So if you can get other members of your organization to lead more, well, that can free up some of your time to go focus on innovation or something else. We think about networking. As entrepreneurs, we're always networking, right? You never know when you're gonna need a partner or a supplier or a customer or an employee. Imagine if you got everyone in your company to be better at networking and you could use their networks to help source some of this. That's less that you have to do. So a lot of these skills, if you are an executive, if you are a founder or an entrepreneur, if you can develop this both in yourself, but then your organization as a whole, that can give you more time to be that lazy person to say, I don't have time to network now, but it's okay. The rest of my team is doing a great job. Now I can go focus on innovation where they might not have the experience and skill set to do what I can do.
0: Final question, quick answer. How do you scale this through the company? We've talked about learning groups and small groups. What if my entire enterprise wants to take this on?
1: I describe in the guide how you can do it in larger groups. You obviously can't have a group of 100 people and just all sit in a circle the way you can with six and have that free-flowing discussion. So one option is to either create lots of groups of six, eight, ten people and do this in parallel, or you can create larger groups, say groups of 100, and you have more structured conversations. And I walk through different options you can do, some of the questions about how you want to think about creating and composing these groups. It's all there free in the guide.
0: Thank you so much, Mark. How will our listeners get a hold of you, get your books? You talked about your website and the online guides. And I want to reiterate for listeners, it's not just about the book, but all of the companion materials that are incredibly helpful.
1: You can go to my website, thecareertoolkitbook.com. You can learn more about the book and links to buy it. You can get in touch with me or follow me on social media. You can go to the app page, and that's going to take you to the Android and iPhone stores where you can download the free companion app to the book. You can also go to the resources page where the very first download is that development guide that we've been talking about. There's links to the ethics case studies I mentioned, other free resources online, other great books I recommend. All of this is available on the website, thecareertoolkitbook.com.
0: Mark Hirschberg is your name, just so people hear it again. When this book is incredibly successful, what is the outcome that happens for you and for the participants and for the community?
1: People will have more successful careers and more enjoyment in what they do. And that's really my hope. And that's what I want to see.
0: Brilliant. Thank you for the work you're doing. And to our listeners, as you can hear, Mark is very passionate and has created a toolkit that is practical, effective, and easy to deploy in a lot of different ways. So as you are navigating through your career, whether you're a college student ready to enter your first job or a senior executive looking for tools for your organization, I do encourage you to pick up the book and look at the resources And for folks whose companies may not be investing in leadership development or career development, having tools like this makes it accessible for you. If you go online, and Mark said, you don't even need to buy the book, you can get together a group of friends, a group of peers who are committed to their career growth. Since we live in a time where it is no longer the bastion necessarily of the company to help my career grow, I own that. And for each of us to have access to resources, irrespective of our economic condition, it's really important that we are empowered to own that. Even if our companies either don't value it or don't have the resources to provide it, we can provide it for ourselves. So to our listeners, thank you for joining us. Thank you for the hard work you do every day in your lives, in your work, in your communities, and in your families especially as we're navigating a pandemic and other issues, so many of us are facing challenges and your kindness and commitment to staying engaged and supporting one another makes our world a better place. So please continue to listen, continue to grow and support one another and come back and like and share this information.